The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. We're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm the king of this ship, Louis Fertel. <laughs> <laughs> should I call you Louis or should I call you King Louis? Ooh, well, that reminds me of The Jungle Book, a movie that is racist. <laughs> He's the captain now. <laughs> I am Ira Madison III. Oh, yeah, I forgot introductions. My name is Aida Osman. Hello. And I've been tasked with starting this off because apparently I'm the authority on Larry King here, which I kind of agree with. Um, R.I.P. Larry King, uh, a man who is always accidentally on your television, where, <laughs> wherever you are. I feel like y- you have no choice but to have seen 25,000 Larry King interviews. But um, nevertheless, uh, the man died this week at the age of 87. And he, by the way, before we get to the interviews, one of my favorite things about Larry King is he's a very old-fashioned type of celebrity in that he's been married a trillion times, which I really miss. <laughs> when you can be married eight times, and yes. we're just like, what is wrong with you? What is your life like that you are getting married this many times? Elizabeth Taylor, come back. Yeah, right. Zsa Gabor, these people. Yeah. Where it's like, what the fuck? Um, you have kids all different ages. The more modern version of that is, I think, engagements. Yes. That's true. A lot of our current pop stars have been engaged a lot, but why waste all that money on marriage? Yeah. But you could still get the photo op and the article. You don't need to do the actual... (laughs) I feel like Britney is maybe the last one. Yeah. That's true. Britney and Kim Kardashian, because they got some like very brief marriages in there. 48 hours, Jason Alexander, lest we not forget. How could we forget? He was he stormed the Capitol, Aida. <laughs> <laughs> right. He, he, he was a Capitol stormer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Larry King passing this week, as I like tried so hard to reflect on him, on his life and his career, is I realized I knew absolutely nothing about the man himself, like in his personal life, other than his partners, things that would make like gossip blogs. But I think if anything, that is the mark of a master interviewer, or at least the most efficient interviewer that we've ever seen. Well, right. Well, what's interesting is, well, in, in reflecting on his interview career, I was surprised how few moments of incisive questioning he gave us, because his whole thing really was, if you ask a short enough question and put a camera on people, they will feel obligated to talk for a long time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And no audience, very intimate, force them to be vulnerable. Right. Well, it was also his thing to like not be prepared for interviews. Right. Which, <laughs> no, again, it's like, is it a skill? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that just, you know, like he would amass the right people who would like have moments on camera uh, and you'd get sort of an iconic thing out of it. But Larry wasn't really going into this being like, let me know about who I'm interviewing. Let me have even read the book they're promoting, seen the right. movie they're promoting. It's just like, why did you make this? I just, I. <laughs> yeah. And he asked it with a confident enough way that it feels like a bold question but in fact yeah. it's just an uninformed one mm-hmm. it's like if rupaul rupaul came on here and we're like what's your thing yeah what do you do 
what's your what are you about to brew? <laughs> and lean it, in really inquisitively. It reminds me of one of my favorite interviews that Larry King did, and it is with Jerry Seinfeld. Oh my god, and he, god. And he flew off it the is, handle. It, it is Absolutely. years after Seinfeld, and he talks about Seinfeld being canceled. Yeah, no, I, I went off the air. I was the number one show on television, Larry. You were Do you know who I am? <laughs> Jewish guy, Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. 75 well, million viewers last okay. episode. Were you? Don't it take like it so canceled. bad. Well, that's a, a big difference between being canceled and being number one. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll be right back. Jeez. B-movie opens. <laughs> B-movie opens. Can we get opens. a resume in here for B-movie me? B-movie opens tomorrow. I, I, we'll be right back. Too brazen. I hate a brazen white man. It was like a downright, I don't want to say Trumpian response, but it was like an offended P.T. Barnum-like response. Like, (laughs) I'm the king of all media, don't you forget. I'm already here promoting B-movie. I will not be disrespected anymore. (laughs) The problem is it was rooted in truth, and like he's he's trying to make a joke, but it's actually just true. So you come off as a dick, Jerry Seinfeld. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, also, what's weird is... You would always want to turn to Larry King when he got like your favorite A-lister or something. Like occasionally mm-hmm. Madonna would drop in. And it's not like he wouldn't get good interviews out of these people, but it was always such a weird mashup because in a Barbara Walters-y like way, they don't he doesn't really ask the hard question ever or mm-hmm. the unusual question. So I'm not even really sure what we got out of him other than the amusement of him as a character and the fact that people were sort of left to their own devices on this show and filled time well. This makes me really appreciate Kathy Griffin, who when she would go on the show, would like fuck with him. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he was always so game because he's like, this isn't serious. And I, we confused him for a serious interviewer because he's on CNN and there's a vestige mm-hmm. of newsiness there. But that was all proximity. And I say this with affection for what he did because he has yeah. hours and hours of legendary content. The Marlon Brando interview where he is off the chain and wearing... Uh, what well, I think our Birkenstocks and uh, kissing comes from, and yeah, just I'll, kissing Marlon. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the absolute insanity. You're not getting that back. Um, yeah, it's definitely the combination of him having been in the game for a minute and having had so many A-listers, particularly at a point where there weren't as many places for celebrities to be interviewed, right? You know, totally, now, totally. now there's so many places. I mean, they could cover I Keep It, or they could come on 60,000 mm. other podcasts. Right. <laughs> um, they even have their own now, right? You know, so like mm-hmm. they love to interview each other. So this was definitely like an anomaly. It was the CNN connection as well. I think it was the suspenders too. Right, you know? right. They were iconography. Very, they're very, they're, they met business um (laughs) and so because of that you know i felt like people felt like they could break news there or something like oprah announcing that she was supporting obama in um 2007 him interviewing putin twice you know i think that that just came from being in the game for a long time and as much as i do actually um I adore Larry, you know. I adore um, watching him. Uh, It was pure, innocent fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was interesting revisiting this and being like, well, he wasn't really like the hottest of the interview (laughs) Yeah, He wasn't. um, But it was always fun to watch. You know, I was sitting and re-watching 
a Robin Williams interview where Robin talked about rehab. Um, and that one was interesting only because, you know, like Robin is giving this heartfelt response about rehab, you know, and like almost dying and um, stuff like that while also being really funny. And it really just made me miss Robin Williams a lot. Right, yeah. Um, and I think what Larry's real strength was was that even if he wasn't that prepared for the interviews, he was a person who was curious about the people that he was interviewing. He could be curious about just about anybody. He could find yeah. something yeah, to be curious true. about. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and if you, I'm sure the listeners of this podcast would be familiar with these two instances, but you've got to look up the Debbie Reynolds interview where she does a dead-on impersonation of Meryl Streep. Never <laughs> not funny. I laugh every time. And Carrie Fisher who gives mm-hmm. an incredible... She's via satellite in the interview. I think this is around the time of uh, Postcards from the Edge of the movie, I think, 1990 or so. Uh, she gives a response about men that is just dead funny and, and very specific to uh, Carrie Fisher. So if you're looking to reappreciate mm-hmm. the strangest mother-daughter combo of all time, I recommend looking at Larry King's interviews. Good ones. Also, specifically, I rewatched the Tyler, the Creator interview with Larry King. And if you just want to watch two different types of stoicism and irreverence <laughs> meet at a crossroads that have no business being in the same room, it is a very entertaining interview. And then, of course, if you know from my True Crime Girls stand-up, he did interview Mark David Chapman, who is the assassinator for John Lennon. John Lennon. Oh, God. John Legend. Chrissy Teigen, don't come for me. (laughs) (laughs) She will. She will. She will. She will find me. The president follows her now on Twitter. So um, she does have access to get you killed. Now you've got me craving (laughs) interviews between two stoic people. Like, what if Tommy Lee Jones and Lakeith Stanfield just, you know, (laughs) look at each other sideways for an hour? Yeah. (laughs) Fingers tapping on the table. Well, we're we're actually going to get into interviews later in the episode, uh, and I am going to bring up an interview that actually truly shocked me, but to wrap up on Larry King, the two interviews that I want to suggest people go see, um, these are... Constant highlights at parties uh, if you're a gay man. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the interview with Liza Minnelli. And I bought it. You know what it was? The Andy Warhol wig. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, perfect. Oh, well, indeed, you're asking me. I didn't ask me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she is cracking up. At every single moment in this interview. And then, of course, the maybe all-time favorite Larry King interview of mine is after Hurricane Katrina, when he is interviewing Celine Dion. How did I not bring that up? When he is interviewing Celine Dion and asks her to sing a song for the hurricane victims. And she's like, I don't want to sing a song, Larry. (laughs) And then she sings a song perfectly. And by the way, she has been weeping throughout the interview. I mean, gay men on the internet have pantomimed this interview where she's wiping tears in 11 different directions. And she's so so sincere. It's like, you, you, you can't make Celine Dion up. She's just an exotic bird and also full of emotions. And... Constantly 42. From the minute she was born, she was 42, to now when she's 42. I cannot think about a song. Um, I will do my very best, and um, I'll do my best. I pray you'll be all right. Anyway, we love her. Yeah. The moral of the story is, pair a 
celebrity with an old interviewer who doesn't give a fuck, and you will <laughs> create magic. <laughs> you, you just have to look like you belong in a barbershop in the 30s, and people will say anything to you. He's got the horse right here. <laughs> <laughs> On this week's episode, we'll discuss Biden's inauguration, quote-unquote coronavirus vaccine chasers in California's ease stay-at-home orders, the drama surrounding Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license, Joan Didion's Time Magazine interview, Danny Lee's light skin anthem, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' bid for governor, and a lot more. Plus, our guest today is one of the stars of Disney Plus's WandaVision, Kat Dennings. We'll be right back. In light of last week's episode where we had some light critiques on holding an inauguration in the middle of a pandemic, I wanted to give us the opportunity to reassess, see if we still feel the same. We've obviously seen the inauguration now. We've obviously heard um, Demi Lovato doing whatever it is she was doing. <laughs> she left the studio, thank God. She left the studio <laughs> to do what she had to do. So... <laughs> so are we pro-inauguration now? Do we still feel the same? And most importantly, did we get loud? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Guys, I, in, in the way that I can't think, you can't stop thinking about trauma, J-Lo jumping in with just a full lyric or the title of a kind of flop single from 1999. Let's get loud. I mean, we shouldn't send everybody to the Hague, but we should send some people there. I mean, trials, which trials need to happen. Yeah. So painfully shocked at that. I and between that and Garth Brooks literally jumping through the screen to hug me in my living room, I was just so concerned with the people at this inauguration. <laughs> I love Garth Brooks. I'm going to say that right now. I love that man. I love that he made same love before Macklemore was even born, okay? <laughs> a yeah. real gay icon. A real gay rights icon, Garth Brooks. Yes. Also, he's really coming up on 35 years of looking like someone you don't want to tangle with in the Laramie Project. <laughs> <laughs> that look. <laughs> a Lewis joke is always worth the wait. <laughs> really like a tangle with a what? Here we go. Oh, God. But, uh, but I will say, okay, like, J-Lo is always... I guess the word is stunty, you know, like from the red carpets to the, uh, her videos are always like more salacious than you expect. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess this is sort of in line with what she does. That said, I did feel bad for her performing after Lady Gaga, who is of course serving like a list and a plus vocals, just period. It was a wild performance of the national anthem, but I thought she served it. I was very excited to watch it. I did too. Also, this is kind of vapid and totally not even, you know, important. But do you guys remember when J-Lo insured her ass for $27 million? Oh, yes. And I guess this really speaks to, like, my warped understanding of women's bodies now. Because I saw J-Lo and I was like, girl, what butts? What ass? <laughs> There's nothing there. <laughs> like, Oh, that's like, interesting. Uh, times are a-changing. Times are truly a-changing. That was also the height of not a lot of representation of people of color in the industry whatsoever 
you know, uh, at least at the level of J-Lo. Yeah, it was the stick body times. And so when she came out, people were like, oh, my God, look at that ass. Curves, body, body, yaddy, yaddy. Yeah, in retrospect, I mean, she was not Megan Thee Stallion. <laughs> it was a very low-rise jeans time, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, Cameron Diaz was the standard for a body type around then. This is mm-hmm. true, yeah. The Audi belly button and the V-shaped. <laughs> what is right. what is the political term for cum gutters? <laughs> no, I think that's up? it. That that's the one okay, in the OED. You. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. You know, I felt moved during the inauguration slightly. I mean, it it was hard not to feel, you know, like it was a bomb after the past four years. I will still say though that. We didn't need all that. <laughs> sure. Uh-uh. Especially no. especially the special at like at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, which was crazy. But mind you, it was the only time I just don't think Firework is a top 7 or 8 single for Katy Perry, but uh, if you attach that much bombast to it to me, it it does add something to the song, so I was happy for that. I didn't think Katy sounded great, but What do you want her to do? Thinking of you? <laughs> Which song would have been the best Katy Perry song? For I this wanted moment? to hear Peacock, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peacock, Peacock. <laughs> I will say, and I mean, I feel like we're going to get there eventually, but it was so amazing to watch that young poet, Amanda Gorman, literally become a star within. I mean, she had a rising career at, already, and she's a, a student at Harvard, but to watch her go from like 100,000 followers to 3 million followers and her book become one of the best-selling books on Amazon and all over the internet, I was just like, thank God. And the girl wore a Prada headband like a crown. Who does that? Yeah. So proud of her. She can do whatever she wants. I also think what was nice about her was we were missing stage presence before that. Mm -hmm. You know, Amy Klobuchar, not really Groucho Marx when it comes to the line (laughs) delivery, I have to say. Amanda Gorman was giving you full... There's no other word for it. Speech team. Yes. You know, the full gestures. It was very what the Constitution means to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, LD, give me public everything, forum, all that. <laughs> she was really there. And yeah. It's also fun to see, like, she's now in a totally different stratosphere. Like, step over, Rupee. We have a new poet, okay? It's done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did order her book, and I'm excited to get into the rest of her poetry, because obviously an inauguration poem... Um, I, the stage presence was really what moved me and like her command mm-hmm. of her own language. The whole Biden inauguration for me sort of felt like it was obviously a repudiation of the Trump administration. And obviously yeah. it felt very Biden in general, which is like it felt like it was 2016 all over again. Like we went right from Obama's presidency to this. You know, it felt a little... Felt a little calm, a little middle of the road. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And for me, my favorite inauguration poem was actually um, Jericho Brown's that was printed in the New York Times. Ooh, I did not hear about this. You know I'm a huge Jericho fan. Yeah, I know. You know, like, um, that just reminds me of, like, his poem from the tradition, you know, where he's like, a poem is a guest your home. And, like, this one for me just felt more like of the moment of what everyone is actually feeling. Um, And the inauguration was very much in the theme of Biden's unity theme, which is good for a president to be saying, I guess, but like wasn't really the feeling that I was going into the inauguration having, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's very like, all right, all right, settle down. We can all take turns. You know, <laughs> where is, there is still a resting rage in the world. I would like to address that in um, some significant fashion. But I also want to add, 
it was fucking nice seeing like Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris exchange a glance and say hello. Like certain moments. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Okay, thank you. Yes. Black girl Twitter will not let us rest <laughs> about that damn fist bump. <laughs> I just, I don't want to see it anymore. I mean, well, to see Kamala and Barack do their terrorist fist bump was beautiful. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Terrorizing oh my, my heart. Yeah. And additionally, which reminds me, if you haven't seen Finesse Mitchell's audio send up of the whole thing, do you know what I'm talking about? He did yes, an audio track yes. where he made, he like faked dialogue between like Hillary Clinton and Lady Gaga and Barack Obama and Kamala and stuff. It is drop dead funny. I think it was the highlight of the inauguration for me. My favorite part of that audio was him having Barack and Michelle um, and Bill Clinton uh, whenever they were talking to J-Lo at A-Rod being like, y'all still together. (laughs) Michelle, they're still together. I believe the, the phrase is J-Lo you be going through it sometimes that was, that was the joke very true J-Lo the la- speaking of Larry King a, a very uh, uh, six or seven significant relationships to tally but getting back to the pandemic I do want to talk about another hot topic um, that is not just a hot topic amongst friends in text threads uh, I'm talking about the LA Times recently publishing a piece on vaccine chasers <laughs> and people flocking to clinics and waiting hours in the hopes of getting soon-to-expire doses left over at the end of the day. There's also reports from TMZ and Variety about celebrities and the Hollywood elite trying to bypass the line so that they can get vaccines as well. The absolute insanity. of You want leftover Moderna, you ain't in line for what? That's insane. <laughs> the, qu- the question here seems to be, is it wrong to wait in line all day for a vaccine that will be thrown away. Right. Well, I mean, essentially at its core, it's not wrong, but I feel like there should be better, there should be a different avenue in place to get those leftover vaccines to the par- the people who primarily still need them, like healthcare workers and elderly. Yeah. It, it is a baffling situation. I mean, yeah. it's the system that seems very strange to me where it's like, okay, well, we're administering this all day to the people who need it. There's some left over. I guess the only thing we can do is treat it like a fucking Willy Wonka golden ticket and whoever sprints to the front of the line gets it. I mean, it just, it's like ableisty people who can take off work get it. It's just, it's like problematic in a number of different ways. Very elitist. Yeah. Every bureaucratic institution in any city ever has a waiting list for everything. So why don't we just fucking make one for this too? It shouldn't be the people in Echo Park getting the first access to leftover vaccinations. Well, so that's the thing that was on my mind as I'm watching the inauguration, right? You know, like, first of all, here is a group of politicians who, got vaccines, mm-hmm. right? for one. Uh, most of them had vaccines already. And we're sitting here waiting for Biden to be sworn in. And um, the jokes online are, you know, like, as soon as he's sworn in, like, can we get that stimulus? Yeah. Can we get the vaccinations? Can yeah. I get salt all around that rim, 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 rim? Like, something. <laughs> um, I was like, yo, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now we're here and you have this whole vaccine situation. And like, I've gone through like a whirlwind of opinions in the past week. At first I was like, we are taking things away from people. Right. You know, and now I'm on the side of our government is fucked, you know? And like, there's a 
reckoning humming. There is a lot of things to fix, but this feels a lot like what we dealt with with the pandemic in general. Gavin Newsom in California talked about how we're reopening outdoor dining just because cases are slightly falling. And it's a thing where it's like, what do you do when the government isn't really helping people the way that it should be helping them? You know, like it's not my particular fault that vaccines are going to be thrown away at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah, no, I don't think the, I don't think anybody should feel particularly ashamed for like wanting to see if they can get it, especially since it's like a lark. Yeah. You go there and you're like, can I get it? I don't know. You know, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. like some dealer is waiting for you there to like, sh- you know, shuffle it off to you. You have no idea yeah. what's going to happen. <laughs> we all have friends who've waited in lines who even saw the likes of Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis waiting for, a vaccine all day and they didn't get one love to see it so at least <laughs> we know like that they hear. are not so at least we know well at least we know that they are not trying to bribe doctors right oh guys the absolute insanity the absolute insanity of these stay-at-home orders being lifted like when i heard this information i do, do they want us to die like are they sabotaging us deliberately because at this point it makes no sense like gavin newsom said that the reason why this is happening is because of projections that the numbers are going to continue to fall but i'm like yo why don't we wait until that actually happens it's happening because the gop is trying to recall gavin newsom right mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they could get a stronghold in california and Again, because now we yeah. have a Democrat in the White House and we have control of the Senate and the House again. And they're like, well, you know what? Let's fuck up. Let's fuck up California. Truly. And not <laughs> Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., finding out when I found out. That's that's not yeah. okay. Acceptable at all. <laughs> also, I just want to say specifically about coronavirus, like there's a lot of people who basically don't know how they got it, which is to say they were wearing a mask in public and they were kind of around people and it maybe happened that way. You know, it's not always Mm -hmm. like I was around somebody and we both didn't have masks on. Like the virus is tricky and strange. So there's something just extra nefarious about outdoor dining opening right now. And I'm still worried about these vaccines. I mean, my mother and my aunt are both healthcare workers in Nebraska. So they both just got vaccinated and I'm getting calls from them as you would with any vaccination or inoculation. You're getting like a mild version of the virus. So they're all like having chills and fever and I can't be there to help them and make sure they're okay, nor can I really be around them. So it's a really difficult time. And also I want a vaccine, so can we get to that part? I want to be in pain, too, so I can go outside. There's this certain stress of, like, calling my grandmother um, back in Milwaukee and being like, can you talk to your doctor? When are you getting your vaccine, (laughs) ma'am? And then me also being like, okay, let me scour the streets or, like, wait in a line all day so that I can get one. And it would it's like a special kind of hell, right, that we're in where Mm -hmm. I could potentially get one before my grandmother who is over the age to get one and also survived cancer last year. Like, right. what is truly going on? Yeah, yeah. no, it's it, it's an awful, I, I hate using the word, dystopian feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it's like in the face of a dumpster fire, I don't know what the fuck to do. And then we have Los Angeles, which is like, stay at home, but also outdoor dining is available, but also... <laughs> Don't leave your house, but also if you work at a restaurant, now you need to go back to work so that you can support yourself. Like I Right. Stay in your home unless you need to go to the Beverly Center. Do you need clothes? <laughs> <laughs> go buy some clothes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was very happy that the Beverly Center was open 
at one point during the pandemic when my AirPods died and they died again. So I'm going to have to go to the Beverly Center again, but it really should not be open. Yeah, right. I say this as somebody who is obsessed with malls and would live in one if I could. (laughs) Don't do as I do. Listen to what I say. (laughs) I still need to get these AirPods. We have to record Keep It. Right. (laughs) Put yourself in danger. Frontline workers right here. Yes. Keep It is essential business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for for whom exactly I don't know I don't want to know. But. <laughs> now it got me thinking about the mall, and I want to just I, I want to see a crowded the buckle, which I believe still exists. I think you can't be in the store the buckle unless the song "Bent" by Matchbox Twenty is playing, and I want mm-hmm. to be in that moment. Yes, it's a Rob Thomas extravaganza, and you're going to be asked by seven different buckle what correspondents. I don't know what they're fucking called, but I know they'll be all up in your business talking about some raw denim. Okay, yeah. I miss the buckle. Well, I, me Ooh, too. I miss the buckle. Two things that will not surprise either of you. One, I absolutely stand Rob Thomas. I love. Ah, I think he seems like a lovely person. And Matchbox Twenty in particular, and also his his solo work. And, and I'm not talking about the Santana team up, which is my karaoke go to. I'm talking about his. This is how our heart breaks. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you would bring that up. You would do that. <laughs> Um, second, in high school, my primary place of shopping was the buckle. Really? Number one? Yeah. It was the buckle and second was express men. I, I was an express <laughs> men person. If you, if you were looking for a lilac dress shirt, I had you covered. Yeah. Oh my God. I was a hot topic rat. <laughs> were you? Oh yes. That surprises oh, yes. me. Oh really? Panic at the Disco, My Chemical Romance. It was just me and $20 t-shirts and spiked bracelets. Just I don't mm. know what I was up to. Now they just sell Twilight paraphernalia. Mm. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could get an Edward Cullen shirt. Um, <laughs> the buckle was where I got like my jeans all the time. And honestly, my favorite jacket that I have ever owned was a suede brown jacket that I got at the buckle um, with a credit card that I may have taken out in my mom's name. Um, that's another story. We don't have to get into that. I was reprimanded for... <laughs> oh my for- god. Confessions of a shopaholic. You're not yeah. about to zoom past fraud. I was reprimanded okay. for it. <laughs> okay? It, it, was, it was very much like a my own little sitcom episode and I did not get away with it. But um, I love that jacket so much that I wore it every single day of high school. I was weird. <laughs> in college, I bought two <laughs> vinyl jackets from the buckle that I wore for a long time, and they cost about $40. So I think I was wearing literal, like, melted-down vinyl albums. Like, I don't know how, <laughs> how you can sell that for $40, but yeah. All right, when we're back, we will be joined by a fantastic Kat Dennix. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. 
And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today has really done it all, from network sitcoms and streaming comedies to low-budget indies and animation. She's visiting us today from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Please welcome Kat Dennings. Does this sound okay? I got these for you guys, these little microphone things. Aw, thank you. <laughs> That's dedication. Yeah. yeah they sound well, great. they were $6, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you stay syndicated TV money rich. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. That's how you stay like that. You have to keep, you can't spend more than $6 on anything. Just listen, take my advice. (laughs) Where is the Kat Dennings newsletter about cheap fines? I feel like people want it. Me and Bernie and I should team up and um, (laughs) just show people how to live. <laughs> Speaking of CBS syndicated money, Aida, um, I I am also one of those people who has seen every episode of Two Broke Girls. You have? I, oh God! Listen, I want I want to tell you there is something about a CBS sitcom. Is there that just will pull me in? <laughs> It'll pull me wow. in. Wow! And 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 they will laugh when I've been like, listen. I think it always starts when I'm on a plane. Well, and then I see and like because mm-hmm. they always have like. Random episodes. When you're weak. Yes. <laughs> That's what it when is. you're vulnerable. Right. When you're anxious, you're like, I just need to turn my brain off. Mm-hmm. So Kat, I would do Kat, that. I trauma bonded. I trauma bonded with your character the first time. <laughs> I watched you broke girls. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what happened. <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah, you start with a plane and then like you're watching all those episodes and like especially if it's like you're going to New York from LA, like it's a oh, long flight. It's and bumpy then, always. Mm-hmm. It sticks in your brain. And then later, you're just like at home and you're like, well, maybe I want to see what happens in the next Oh, my God. You know, I must tell you, I must admit it here with you guys that I've definitely never seen every episode. In fact, I don't (laughs) think I've seen many episodes um, because I simply it's hard for me to see here and sense myself like i it mm-hmm. like i haven't me even out. looked in a mirror in years that's right <laughs> but okay well then i want to ask you have you seen wandavision no is it just the fact that maybe two book girls is a sitcom and you haven't seen wandavision either it's just me uh anything i'm in uh with my face <laughs> anything that i'm in it's very hard for me to watch because you can't help but just be like ah 
But if it's animated and it's like just my voice, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit better. Or if it's just my face and I'm not talking, I'm a little bit better. It's just I don't I'm not my type, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was actually going to say, I also write for Big Mouth, and you, writing for Leah is the my favorite character to oh, write Oh, amazing. Of course, the closest in age. I mean, the other ones are right. little <laughs> rat children. So, yes, you know. exactly. <laughs> Leah is the fun one. Leah yeah, is the fun one, hard. and you do such a great job. Oh, man, thank you. Well, it's it's a great show, but it's it's hard for me to watch. Just, it's weird. I don't know. I don't enjoy myself mm-hmm. as much as I, well, maybe that's good, actually. Maybe it's healthier. I don't know. Well, here's my question about <laughs> WandaVision. Did the show have to be explained to you over and over again in order to even begin to understand when you were becoming a part of? Because yes. as I watch it, even, it's like four things at once. It's like an yeah. arch parody of sitcoms. It's related to superhero universe. It's turning into a different kind of TV show altogether. Like, right. Did you get it when you started making it? I, I think there were a lot of questions from everybody because it starts... Well, I want to get this right. I think it's right after Endgame, Avengers Endgame. This is kind of, that's Mm -hmm. where it fits in. Um, So I had to, I've already seen them, but I had to rewatch everything in order. Um, You know, I am being watched by like 70 snipers right now so that I don't say too many things. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Marvel leash. I'm the Marvel leash. Yeah. um, But it's mostly because we don't want to, we don't want to give anything away. We want the audience to enjoy the the magic, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot to keep up with. However, everything has a payoff and there are so many little surprises sprinkled in. And I think people are picking up, you know, those commercials that they have in the episodes with within each era, there's like, Mm-hmm. a commercial and, and every commercial has like a secret meaning and I, it's really fun to watch people mm-hmm. figure those out I don't know anything and there was a point where I was like you know what this is bad acting bad acting tip but I'm going to tell you what it is I took out just my stuff <laughs> <laughs> horrible actor but <laughs> I you know at a certain point I was like you know what I'm just going to focus on my stuff and let them handle everything else. So it is true that I don't know what's going on. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. No, this is like that's like what Fred on I Love Lucy would do. Really? He would just like you yeah. just read his own lines and throw out us all. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Yeah. I've I've read too about like soap opera actors doing that too. And I mean, because there's oh, so much that you're filming, but then also then it makes it real when like a big twist yeah. happens and you're like, well, I didn't know I that person was having an affair because I didn't read the scripts. <laughs> exactly. There is a benefit to it in that you really, you, if your character doesn't know what's going on and you don't know what's going on, it can only help. Yeah. There's also 7 million Reddit threads dedicated to figuring out what WandaVision's about. I don't I expect bet. you to make sure Darcy Lewis understands everything in the Marvel verse. Right. <laughs> Oh, I bet. I'm surprised they gave you a script to read. Marvel's Same. so secretive. I can't believe I it. I mean, Same. I worked on a Marvel project that is um, coming out. It's a Black Panther sort of like <gasps> um, serialized book. And oh, wow. The process of anything with Marvel is like, first yep. of all, you sign an NDA, and then they bring you into a closed room, and then yes. they knock you out, and then you wake <laughs> up in Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> You wake up in a different city. Yeah, right. A lot of um, a lot of you're auditioning for this, Ed. Well, you know what? You can't do 
show your agent or manager any of these materials. So you're just yeah. flying solo. They haven't read yeah. it. Um, they don't know what's going on. They're emailing like, I love this show. It's so interesting. I'm like, yeah, it's so funny that they, this is, it's a, such a secret. I remember my first meeting about this. I had to, as you said, I had to sign an NDA in the lobby wow. before I went into the room, like the, the conference room. I was like, is there something in this conference room that's a secret? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then I, I went into the conference room and sure enough, secrets. Yeah. You know? No, wait. Does this mean it was like far more intense than when you did say Thor? It was as intense, but it had mm-hmm. shifted in the way that when I did Thor, I didn't really... It was so secret that I didn't know what I was auditioning for. Um, mm-hmm. This is fun. So uh, they give you, well, I sh- am I revealing? Any- nah, I don't even think they, okay. Um, so I went to an address. Wow. And um, <laughs> signed some, this is the audition. Okay, this is not, I have no idea what's going on. So I don't know what the movie is. All I know is that it's a superhero movie. And I'm like, am I a like, what do I wear? Like, so I was like, do I wear, like, leggings? Like, do I do, like, what do I do? So I was like, I'll toe the line. I'll, like, try to look a little cute, but I don't know who I'm playing. Because um, right. you get fake sides. Sides are what actors get for auditions, like, paper with your lines mm-hmm. on it. Um, mm-hmm. Fake sides. Character didn't exist. Uh, signed a thing at this address. I looked around. I was like, there's no one at this address. And then someone came in over in a golf cart. And he was like, I'm here to take you to the real place. I was like, what? (laughs) Frightening. It's right. Well, uh, 100% like abduction. But um, (laughs) it was like a different place entirely. It was so, so crazy. I was like, what is that going on? Mm. And um, I don't know why I got that part, to be honest. Um, It was just a lucky a lucky thing. Here I am. That is really intense. It yeah. is interesting if you're a Marvel fan um, yeah. being involved in this process because it's always sort of like you're looking through the clues and you're like, I think I actually know what this is. But I think about the person at Marvel who has to go through and be like yeah. coming up with fake names and situations. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of Thor, though, yeah. um what was that process like working with um, one of our faves, Miss Natalie Portman? Are you kidding? The best. Actually, and do you still talk? Yes. Well, we it, we were actually friends before Thor. Um, mm. Randomly, if you this is a long time ago, we were like in some I don't remember what it was, but we met through like a random connection, and and she's mm-hmm. so great. Um, and we just hit it off. And she's lovely and wonderful. And then I didn't know she was in Thor. I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) I didn't know who I was. But what's interesting is, and Thor was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. So I don't think they'll mind if I talk about this. Um, In the the rehearsal process, because for Thor, they're create, you know, this is like his story. So it was like, really have to create the, and it's very complicated. For anyone who knows the Thor stuff, it's like, Mm-hmm. There's Norse, there's the gods, there's stuff, you know, there's rainbow things. And <laughs> you have to, like, work on, you know, you have to make it grounded somehow. So there was a lot of rehearsal with the actors. And the writer and uh, Marvel people would come to the rehearsals and just watch us interact and say the lines. And my part, Darcy, was originally, like, two scenes. I mean, she was literally just an intern, just there to kind of 
bounce off, you know, other people. And um, I was already like, so it was the best day of my life. You know what I mean? Like, I could not believe these people like hired me. Like I duped them somehow into hiring me. <laughs> and, um, and because Natalie and I were already friends, I remember this exactly. We, I walk in the room and I'm very shy, not as much anymore, but at the time I was like, I can't, what are they going to realize to fire me? Um, <laughs> and I came in and I sat down and Natalie hadn't gotten there yet. And everyone was so nice. And Natalie came in and sat on my lap. Because we're friends, and that's how my, my friends and I are. And I and I think our friendship started to like infect them with its purity and love. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and and slowly Darcy became a little more involved, and I was like, "Why are they adding me to scenes?" Um, and that's kind of what happened. If I'm being honest, like friendship magic is the reason I'm here. Today. Oh, wow. Being nice pays off? Suspicious. Weird. (laughs) I don't trust it. Yeah, right. It seems gross to me. I don't like it. Well, we love you on WandaVision. Your performance there is amazing. And I was going to ask you, though, because, you know, was a lot of this stuff shot pre-pandemic? And what was your, you know, experience like working with Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen? Oh, God. Um, I've been told not to discuss any timelines. How interesting. Mm. So I shunned. But um, <laughs> it got will, filmed, girl. It got filmed. <laughs> it got just so filmed. Bad. Um, but I will. Little say, do we know, it filmed six years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was twenty-four. Um, uh, well, working with Paul Bettany was a huge deal for me. Um, I, I he'll he won't mind. But a Knight's Tale. I'm, yes. It yes. is. Mm. Come It's a classic. <laughs> And he's he's so funny in that. And so I I knew Paul Bettany more as like a comedic actor actor more than than Jarvis, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the Avengers things. And so I was a bit starstruck to meet him, but he's lovely. He's so I have to say, everyone's really nice. Oh, they are in mm-hmm. the Marvel in the Marvel world. Everybody. I think cause I, I don't know. It's good. I don't want to like jinx anything, but everyone is just wonderful. He's an incredible actor. And every take is he's does something different. It's a surprise. Like one of those actors that's like you're like, oh shit, I'm gonna see with an actor, like a good actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's does, a delight. Does he ever bring around Jennifer Connolly? She's one of the most intriguing oh, mystery based celebrities to me. Isn't she? Yeah. She didn't she wasn't brought, but I certainly oh. if I heard the word Jennifer, I was like <laughs> no, you you want to look around. Yeah. Again, she's I'm always wonderful. like, is she evil or does she simply have straight hair? I can't figure it I out. I think she's just like vulpine. Yes. Word? You know, like totally. beautiful, mm-hmm. like angular fox woman. Um, Lewis, I'm imagining Jennifer Connelly <laughs> trying to get onto the set of Wanted Vision, being like, I was in a Hulk movie. <laughs> yeah. I signed something. I'm in. allowed. <laughs> she doesn't have clearance. If you don't have a badge, you can't come. <laughs> so She's I like, I'm a snow her. piercer now. Yeah. <laughs> Heard a lot of amazing stories, of course, but she didn't show up, sadly. Oh, damn it. I know. Mm-hmm. No, wait. To go back to um, Two Broke Girls for a second. Okay, to be doing multicam for that long, mm-hmm. is it like... I, I always have this vision of soap actors where once you've done it for a long time, it retrains your brain about how to act, I would assume. Yeah. Like, did you come out of bro- Two Broke Girls being like, I have to unlearn some of this? Oh, my God. Like, you have no idea. It's funny. My mom still says, you're so loud. You've never been this loud. 
<laughs> like, because it was a real adjustment for me because I came from, like, indie movies. Like, that's what mm, I was yeah. doing before Two Bird Girls happened. And I was thrilled. I mean, I'm so much better about this stuff now. But, like, at the time, an audience for me was, like, the worst possible situation. I was, like, terrified of that. And my trick in the first couple of seasons, I'm very nearsighted and I would take out my contacts. Wow. <laughs> So that I couldn't see shit. I'm sorry. I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. You right? certainly are. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, swear more. I, uh, yeah. I so I couldn't see anything but the person in front of me and like what, maybe where the camera was moving and I couldn't see the crowd and it was the only way I could do it. And then I got adjusted and also we had mics on, but our showrunner was like back of the house and I was like. Fuck. <laughs> So, like, we had to learn to project, and I would lose my voice, like, five times a season. Like, my voice could not deal. Um, And eventually, like, my pipes just, like, hulked. And um, Mm -hmm. they're just indestructible, and I'm such a loud person, and it is not how I usually am. So I have to unlearn that. I don't know how to do it because I'm, like, permanently loud, but (laughs) I have to lower my register to do other things. Like, in this, I was, like... You can't be yelling every line, dum-dum. Wow. Like, it's not like I mean to, but I just have been seven years of back of the house. You Mm. have to remember that people don't talk like that. No, that's so interesting because when I think of you on that show, I mean, like, you're characteristically a deadpan kind of actress. Yeah. And when I watch a multicam show... I don't think of it as loud per se because I'm so used to what it's I'm seeing. Style. But in fact, you're screaming. Yes. Right. Right. Well, yeah. that's the thing. It's it's not regular acting. It's it's weird when you think about it. It's like, do they know the audience is there? Why are they holding for laughs? Like, what is this weird yeah. balance? What is this? And it's almost like burlesque. It's like, it's weird, man. I felt real comfortable after season, you know, four course there were only six seasons so i you know had four years of like ah but got there um and the one thing i can tell you about wandavision was that the stuff the black and white stuff in the first episode is in front of a live audience oh Oh, wow so they didn't even pick up on that yeah they um recreated like that style exactly mm-hmm. and the stuff with the plates and all that was practical like it was on fishing wire and they did it how they would have done it really back in the day so that's interesting oh well that, that makes me definitely cool. want to rewatch that because yeah, that is sh- like it you're, looks you're like, too smooth oh, is this but can it's laughter no right is that crazy okay. wow they did it all the way Took it to the limit one more time, as I always. Of say. course, Marvel did that. <laughs> of they, course, they, they did. They have they have a they have a live audience on deck. And I believe <laughs> I believe it was their friends and family of the crew. Like I think they brought their families in, which is adorable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, now it's been God. 13 years since Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. But I have to tell you, I was I was I was just describe talking about it with other people on the. Uh, on our podcast oh. behind the scenes like it's one of the most rewatchable movies and I'm it's oh, just man. because it, the the real time feeling or something and just like everybody casually right. seems to get along do you feel like it's an important part of you know your filmography I think so I mean it was like the first movie I ever got that I was like the lead in like the, you yeah. know I uh I don't know why I'm not trying to like undersell myself but I'm not and I was told this, I'm not, this isn't my insecurity. I was told that, like, you're really not the typical, like, female lead, whatever that meant, 
13 years ago. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, so <laughs> I, it was like a huge deal for me to get that. And I um, had such a wonderful time. Like it, everybody did get along. And I think that thing of like it taking place all in one night, you know, it was 44 days of night shoots in New York mm. City. And anyone who knows anything about night shoots, it means you're on vampire hours. Like you get up at 4 p.m. You you get to set when the sun's going down. You go through hair and makeup. You go to shoot when it's dark and then you shoot all night. So like there was the adventure of real New York all night. You can only imagine. Mm. Somebody pulled up during a take and yelled, hey, Denzel Washington. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> to Michael Sarah, to Michael Sarah. He's Sarah, not there at all. <laughs> People were just fucking with us the whole shoot, and it was such a blast. Um, the only reason it's not rewatchable for me is because of that orgasm scene. <laughs> oh, right. Uh huh. Uh huh. Not something I need to ever see or hear again. <laughs> um, but I will say something. Pete Solit, the director, who is the kindest, most wonderful man in the world knew how uncomfortable I was and how, like, I was just so dreading that. I mean, I wanted to do a good job because I'm an actor, but I was like, I don't know what to do. He wrote that orgasm out <laughs> phonetically for me. Oh, wow. Like lines. Oh, wow. To like the beat. The, yeah, like O's and then uppercase O's and then lowercase O's. Like, he tried so hard to make me feel like it was lines, like I was saying lines, and I wasn't like, <laughs> can, you, can you imagine... Well, Bless they got to give heart. him a they got to give him a job on Bridgerton then. He's, <laughs> 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 He's Let him a write those scripts. <laughs> compassionate person. Oh god. That's a brilliant solution. What a cool idea. Well, if it's yeah. not if it's something's in the stage directions and it's it's not dialogue and you mm-hmm. have to generate it and it's something like that, it's so personal and so deeply humiliating. <laughs> Actors are fragile. Um, so that made it was like, okay, this is dialogue and I can do that. You know, very kind move on his part. That's like the sweet version of like doing an Albi play where you better pronounce it exactly how he wrote it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was a little on Two Bro Girls. You were not allowed to add one word or, uh, and I say this with love because they just, you know, Michael Patrick King has a vision, vision for how he wants it. And if there's a dash, you better take a breath and then say the next word. Like, that dash is there, Whoa. so you take a breath. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Scary. A little bit, but <laughs> yeah. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sitcom boot camp. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> this is a random, dumb question. Please. Um, do you ever get annoyed by the new... The fact that there's now like a sitcom called like Call Me Cat. You like, are you the are third person the- <laughs> to ask me this week. Two of my friends were like, Have you seen this? <laughs> First of all, I don't own the name Cat with a K, but you know, I get it. Um, but the cat stuff, yeah, three people have been like, Are you gonna sue or what? I don't own a cat cafe, but you are. I I haven't watched it, but you're certainly not the only one to ask me this this week. I don't think there's some kind of conspiracy to like steal my cat lady identity, Mm -hmm. but. Well, I just want to think of the people tuning in and being like, 
that's blossom. <laughs> three people. Right. <laughs> three people. <laughs> Who think that? Well, then have Maya on and ask her point blank. Go, no, but that's our, pri- our pr- oh, prerogative. I'm ready for that conversation. How do you feel about theft? <laughs> I need you guys to do Fox this. versus CBS. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring her to the table. We really will. Please. Yeah. <laughs> we got we to gotta sort this out before 2022. <laughs> uh Thank you so much for being here, Kat. Oh, my immense pleasure. Yes. I'm so happy. What a pleasure. To have been on this. It's such a fun podcast. And I love how you guys just say what the fuck you want. I respect you deeply. <laughs> oh, thanks. No scruples. I guess we do. No. I respect <laughs> it. You have no idea. I love that. WandaVision is airing now on Disney+. Plus. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The time has come for us to talk about the teens what in the little rascals what in the little rascals is going on i have not been this excited about teen drama since the last blast dance on days of our lives <laughs> right okay. we were all there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the internet's most talked about love triangle and it involves one young woman who just got her driver's license another woman who is just old enough to drink and then the barely legal adult male in the middle of it. I am, of course, talking about the drama that kicked off when Olivia Rodrigo from Disney Plus's high school musical, The Musical, The Series, released a song (laughs) called Driver's License, which is about a boy who did her wrong, uh, and they were planning to drive around in her car together, and now she's Driving around in the suburbs alone, crying. Fine. As you're supposed to do at 16. And you know what? It's a bop. It's a bop. No, okay. It's a good song. and I, It's a good song. It's a good song, and I'm so happy we finally have some beef, because I. it's been a while since Pusha T and Drake. It's been a while since Tupac and Biggie. Like, this is what I needed for my <laughs> rap soul. <Okay? laughs> it's been a while since 1996. I agree. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm imagining her driving onto the high school musical set, blaring "Shoot 'em up." Yeah, who shot you? Huh? <laughs> no, okay. I think the song is fine for it to be. I guess the Macarena or One Sweet Day of our time, where it just is a, f- a phenomenon you can't escape. I am a little baffled because the vocals, for example, are the like waterlogged, wounded girl Lord vocals. Julia Michaels that we've heard like a million times over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the song does take off at a certain point when like the the bridge kind of blows up. Mm. But I am a little lost on this is her debut single, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, she did put her Billy eyelashes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I was exactly you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the way she has influenced and changed the culture. And it also makes sense that 
Taylor Swift commented on her Instagram because it also has like the vibe of a Taylor Swift storytelling like pop song. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, it harkens back to that era of Taylor, you know, when she was like sort of writing about a man that we knew, but like was sort of like cagey about whether it was about that man. Right. Because mm-hmm. she is not to the point yet uh, where she, you know, is giving you knuck if you buck behavior. She hasn't been like, this is about. Joshua Bassett, who is also from High School Musical, the musical, the series, who I dated briefly uh, and then was dumped by so that he could date Sabrina Carpenter, this girl who is also involved in the drama and starred in this horrible but very watchable Netflix movie called Work It. Okay. Great. She was also on, wait, she's the one who was on Girl Meets World, right? Yeah, she was. She was the best friend who wore like a lot of, um, Wore like a lot of hats that you used to see in um, VW Bug commercials. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm there. Thank you. She's giving Minnie Dove Cameron. Oh, Dove Cameron. That's nice. She's yeah. She's giving yeah. me that. But this whole situation is reminding me of Selena Miley Nick triangulation from like 2010. So mm-hmm. I'm here for the Disney drama. I've always been here for it. Here is my thing that was so deeply disturbing about this situation. Other than it was the perfect like lightning in a bottle, all of the exact factors needed for this amazing story. All the streaming platforms put this song on every single fucking playlist. I'm like, why is Olivia Rodrigo on Rap Caviar? Why is she here? Why are you forcing this down my throat? I don't care about these little kids. And I have to now. And I'm, I'm just deep in it. Coming up after Throat Baby, it's Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Oh is it bad goodness. that the, the singles that the other two people put out, I kind of like even better than uh, Driver's License. Like, Sabrina Carpenter put out a... See, I'm on the other side. I, Sabrina... You don't like no. it? No. So the other songs are um, Lie, Lie, Lie by Joshua Bassett, uh, who's also on High School Musical, the musical, the series, as I said. Uh, that is actually my favorite. Because that right. one is very... That one is very old school JT before he disrespected J.C. Chazay and Janet Jackson. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, I like the beat... Uh, <laughs> I would say it's a combination of songs about Jane era Maroon 5 and also Chris Allen, mm. uh, season eight American Idol winner. Oh, how dare you go into the recesses of my mind and bring Chris Allen and all that eyeliner out. God, he was so cute. I loved Chris Allen. I mean, listen, I used to spin Live Like We're Dying yes. constantly. Oh, my God. That was an album. And he deserved more. I know. I love that song. Or maybe he got just what he deserved. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> weird, that, weird that he won. Weird that he won. But. Yeah. But um, the other song, which is Skin by Sabrina Carpenter. Now, that song sounds like it was written in 20 minutes. <laughs> exactly. It really was. And I think what was disappointing about, about Sabrina and all this is she just won't even own up to the fact. And when, I, when you go and look at their ages, Sabrina is 21, clapping back at a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> like, if you, you should have just been like, that's cute. This is my man. Sorry, girl. Bye. But instead wrote a whole <laughs> shitty song about it. I do like a lyric in it to, that's directed at Olivia, allegedly, that says, don't drive yourself crazy. Driver's license. Okay, Cole Porter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, James Fauntleroy. The lyricism yeah. is there. It's there. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I am a little disappointed that Sabrina went out of her way to be like, I don't want this to become an endless cycle, so please don't use this as an opportunity to send more hate anyone's way. Uh, you know, very much downplaying the fact that this is the third part of this trilogy, you know, 
driver's license, set the rules, mm-hmm. lie, 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 bent the rules. In skin, <laughs> there are no rules. Um, it's a scream so reca- <laughs> promotional uh, copy <laughs> reference, everyone. Well done. Um, to really recap this for people who are like, who are you all talking about? Uh, even though we know you've heard driver's license because it is truly everywhere. I think that white suburban women have been looking for something to buy in lieu of an Adele album. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they put physical copies of the driver's license single in Starbucks and Targets, I'm sure that they would sell millions of copies. Right, totally. Olivia and Joshua were on the show High School Musical, the musical, the series. I love saying that title. Uh, uh, you said they- it three times. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes of airtime just telling us the title. Um, there were rumors about them having an IRL relationship because their characters date on the series and they had so much chemistry. And then basically the timeline of the relationship never really, but allegedly Joshua taught her how to drive. <laughs> and that is where the song Driver's License comes from because he supposedly left her because she was too young for him and then hooked up with Sabrina Carpenter, another Disney girl. And I just want to say that I'm glad you brought up the Selena, Miley, Nick thing, uh, Aida, just because I don't know if I buy any of this. Yeah, it's all bullshit. That's the ultimate thing. It's all bullshit. This is very pro wrestling, okay? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. This is cooked up. First of all, Lie, Lie, Lie was originally released on his TikTok in 2019. So Continuity errors here. There is no way that this song is actually about driver's license. Uh, and, And Skin, I mean, they probably just pulled this demo out from somewhere and were like, Sabrina, you gotta release a song too. And the fact that they all released them in a row like these diss tracks, like Sheether to No Frauds, like what? Come on. Are we supposed to believe this? It reminds me of when Thank You Next came out curiously after the breakup with Pete Davidson. Yeah. It's like, wait, so you just had this waiting or like songwriters slash biographers are waiting around for you to finish a song? Anyway. Well, Ariana was in therapy um, talking about Pete and then she was like, oh, wait, (laughs) what you just just said sounds perfect. But this is the exciting thing to me about what we're going to have to do in the streaming world to create narratives and buzz around songs. I think about most recently with SZA releasing Good Days, a track that was put in the music video for Hit Different but wasn't released until recently was a way to drum up buzz. That's exciting. Of course, Mm -hmm. we have people... Very Missy Elliott. Very Missy Elliott. It's also like... Beyonce broke the world when she dropped Lemonade and a visual album came out with it because ever since then I feel like people are trying to find clever ways to make their music innovative and accessible to people and Aida, you know I think you mean Beyonce changed the game with that digital drop digital that yeah, is that okay. is that is the exact that is the exact <laughs> terminology digital popped. <laughs> and even like a childish Gambino releasing a screenplay with because the internet I just I find these are little new ways for artists to break through and cut through the noise and I'm here mm. for it we love a story. Bitch, I love a story. I'm not reading all that. I'm I'm happy for him or sad for him, but I'm not reading (laughs) all that. Whatever the tone is. Lewis, it's actually interesting that you brought up Chris Allen because last night when my roommate and I were watching The Bachelor, there was a commercial for American Idol. Right. And I was like, oh, wow. Miss Katy Perry is still on American Idol. This show is still on. Don't know anyone who's a contestant on it. And you could not tell me who's been on 
the voice. Oh, never. Oh. As well. And I think that we've passed this point where like um the music industry can sort of like engineer um stars the way that they did Kelly and then Carrie Underwood, Fantasia, um Jennifer Hudson. Mm-hmm. And now we're in this new era where kids would rather listen to something on SoundCloud. They would rather feel like they discovered something themselves. So I think that taking the rumor mill that was already swirling around the Disney Plus sphere and making it into this is how you're able to create stars now. Right. Mm -hmm. Though I will say, a contestant from two seasons ago on American Idol, Gabby Barrett, currently has a top 10 hit with Charlie Puth. Mm. That is kind of a, uh, I mean, it's an okay song. I mean, he'll kind of lend his vocals to whomever, but. <laughs> he'll lend his vocals to anything but an album. Right, no, we're, wait, we're trust me, we're waiting. His voice memos app is down. What is he supposed to do, Ira? <laughs> That's true. But literally, when this happened, I thought this proves what you just said, because I don't know anybody else on American Idol in the past however many years that this has happened to. Maddie Poppy, the winner for two seasons ago, come back to us, what happened? The only person from the new Katy Perry American Idol that any of us know is that gay who said wig. Right. <laughs> and he, he, I don't believe, he didn't, he barely made the semifinals or whatever. Yeah. I mean, just why? Why? There's, there's no gatekeepers anymore. We have social media. Go post a cover on Instagram or TikTok and boom, make a song. You're done. But that's interesting, Aida, because I still feel like there are the gatekeepers. You know, there's this feeling that there are no gatekeepers. Like the social media can sort of let anyone become a star now. But is it necessarily true? There's still the people who decide who gets promoted. There's still the people who will stick you on Spotify in rap caviar. Yeah. Even if you're not a rapper um, who gets television appearances, etc. You know, I think one of the people who most recently sort of did it themselves was Chica. Mm. Yeah. But that feels like an anomaly. I still feel like it's the Wild West out there, but in all reality, the, maybe the biggest gatekeeper is who has the most money and who can... Mm-hmm. Remember when French Montana bought like thousands and thousands of streams and there was a glitch in the Spotify world and then he just became one of the top streaming artists and we was like, we don't listen to you, French Montana. <laughs> like there are ways to get around it, you know? But um, I, I do think that it is ultimately up to what the kids on TikTok want. Don't panic is a bop, Aida. And, and that's an opinion you have <laughs> <laughs> wait i i do like his song on on bangers the miley cyrus album is that four by four i forgot what one it is <laughs> yeah. i think that's four, four by four is the nelly, nelly song four, four by four and away we go he's on another one anyway he's on fu okay he's on the fu track yeah if, uh, yeah if you guys haven't, haven't listened to miley cyrus's 2013 album bangers you need to go back and do that that is the her very fortunate album before the very unfortunate one, Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. Well, so yes. go listen to Bangers. SMS Bangers with Britney Spears, a classic. I don't know for whom, but... For me. Oh, okay. Well, that answers that. <laughs> for me and the rest of the commenters on Breathe Heavy, okay? <laughs> I might have to skip on every Ira playlist. <laughs> don't offer me one, Ira. <laughs> People love my playlist, Aida. Fuck you. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I love that this has been the second week in a row we've talked about um, maybe fake relationships in Hollywood. Oh, that's true. I love that's it. Every, if we can do this every week, I, I would prefer it. To recap that last week one, I, I think Ben Affleck is in on the joke now, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. He's like doing, when he has like a big stack of books and like there's yeah. a, a Dunkin' Donuts on top of it, really... he's beyond in on the game. He's running the game, guys. Slapstick, prop comedy. That's what we've <laughs> resorted to, Ben. <laughs> I mean, you don't go through that entire thing with... J-Lo um, and becoming like everywhere um, and covered by all the paparazzi and not learn how to 
game the system. True. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dear Ben, here are the rules. Yeah. <laughs> All right, when we're back, keep it. back with an all new I'm kidding we're back with keep it <laughs> a favorite segment of the episode what if I just like start at the episode over right now right do a mulligan I'd be fine <laughs> this is keep it vision I'm sure we'd find creative things to get mad about <laughs> I'm actually very excited about everyone's keep it's today. Oh yeah. Ooh, oh because yeah. we're aware of them this time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shall I start? Yeah. Why don't you go first? Go for it, Lewis. You seem eager, girl. Yours is very intellectual. Right. Just you know, just like me and who I am. <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't want to say I'm backing off my keep it, but I am questioning it. So we will I, I'm like waving through a window at my own keep it. I don't know if I'm <laughs> okay. on the side of it. Okay, okay. My keep it is to Joan Didion's quote-unquote interview with Time recently. We were just mm-hmm. talking about her we- last week, weirdly. But we really talk about her every week. That's <laughs> I true. I just want to put that out there. Uh, the you know literary legend who gave us mm-hmm. the driest uh, California-based commentary on society and our ills and our problems that mm-hmm. really fills you with dread. I mean, it's, she's not mm-hmm. a comforting writer. She gave a rare interview with Time, and I want to again put that in quotes because she says less than 80 words and it just is terse to the point of disturbing uh for instance somebody says you once said that about with vertigo and nausea you had in the summer of 68 was not an inappropriate response to that period what's an appropriate response to 2020 and she responds vertigo and nausea sound right and that's one of the more descriptive answers she gives Uh, she says, I don't know. I don't make anything of it. Sometimes to other questions, I'm going to now give my bifurcated version of this. Keep it one. Keep it to Joan Didion. If you're going to do an interview, approach it with a good faith. I don't want to say attitude, but you know how interviews are. We want to read more than four words. Sorry. There's no reason for me to click on this. You can turn down the interview. Just don't do it. And I know that dry and detached and is her style and she's 86 and she doesn't know anyone anything, which by the way, the article itself goes to great pains to establish. But she got a dut. Okay, I'm not saying she owes us anything. She could say something. She could (laughs) answer the questions in a way that makes you think you're interacting with another human being. But here's why I'm backing off this, keep it. I thought the questions were better than what they were. I looked at these questions and I have to say, they don't inspire me. Like one of the questions is, what do you make of the old adage, write what you know? That's almost like a question you would ask on Hollywood Squares or something. It's just like, is there a, a joke punchline you want or something? It's wild because, first of all, the interview starts off with Joan Didion suffers no fools and then follows with a bunch of foolish questions. <laughs> the interview's like, it's me, the fool. Yeah. Two, uh, it's almost like she was being interviewed by Larry King, right? Yeah, right. Because totally. Even yeah. asking. Joan Didion, like, um, what do you think of the old adage, write what you know? Well, if you see the Joan Didion documentary, uh, The Center Will Not Hold, she literally talks about how she and John Gregory Dunn, her late husband, and her basically wrote what they knew. Yeah. You know? Like, and they're asked in the, she's asked in that documentary, like, was there ever some sort of agreement between you both? Because you were both writing about the 
trauma and like the um yeah tumult of the era things that you weren't happy Mm -hmm. about with your own lives and marriages um and was that uncomfortable for either of you and she was like no we never had an agreement to not do that or to do it we were just writing what was happening in our lives you know so it was it was very much like someone who has an idea of what joan didion is in popular culture after like the year of magical thinking Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. That's the interview, but it's like they haven't done the research or the work. Um, but I am so glad that this interview exists because I'm sorry, it is hysterical. The question <laughs> you wrote two of the defining books on grief, The Year of Magical Thinking and Blue Nights. What would you say to the millions who have lost loved ones in the past year? I don't know. I don't know that there's anything to say. Yes, of course. <laughs> She lost her husband and her daughter and wrote two books about grief. And now you want this woman who specifically wrote books about grief because she felt like there had never been books on grief written um, for her situation. Uh, And now you want her to talk to people about losing their loved ones in a global pandemic? Right. It is psychotic. A a tentative connection. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Like, what did you want her to say? Like, welcome to the club? I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Read my books. Like, what is the conversation? What is the real answer to that? I have respected Joan Didion, you know, as a reader and a person who has, of course, experienced grief, as we all have, so dearly. She has put her whole heart and everything that you need to know about her is in her books. I don't expect authors and writers like this to even give good interviews because they are writers. Mm-hmm. They are not speakers. Just like when we were talking about most recently about the difference between writers and speakers. Joan Didion don't need to be talking. She needs to slouch toward mm-hmm. Bethlehem and write it down. That's what she needs to do. <laughs> right. And her style is more acerbic and really sort of giving you this sort of dread of the day, as you said, Lewis. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to be completely different from, like, say, when we talk to Zadie Smith. You know? Right, right. Like, exactly. like they just have different, they have different personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wouldn't expect um, to just, like, have some plucky interview in time. Um, with Joan, I mean, I wouldn't expect one from Zadie either. Right. She'd put up with it, though. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm also a little bit annoyed with the, like, rah-rah response to, or defensiveness towards Joan Didion regarding this interview. Like, people being like, I read it, and I thought it was perfect. And she said any, everything they needed to say. Well, no, she didn't. She said almost mm-hmm. nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> so no. it's like, you can be fine yeah. with it, but don't call it, like, a triumph of the mind or a triumph of yeah. Joan Didion or whatever. Well, you know, that's the cult of personality of the people yeah, who right. believe that um, mm-hmm. nothing um, is wrong with that interview. Uh, I do appreciate a piece that was written about her in The New Yorker. Recently, it's a review of her new essay collection. Oh, great. It's called Let Me Tell You What I Mean. And as I say this, you know, there's another piece on it in the New York Times, um, which is, um, I'm sure, a much better interview (laughs) than the Time one. (laughs) And maybe she was like, you know what? The Times will get that good interview. I'm very excited to read that collection, though, because what I really love about Joan collections is they will collect pieces from just like the past that she's written that aren't necessarily like urgent now, but I'm excited to read a piece on Robert Maplethorpe Mm -hmm. from Joan Didion. Well, um, I am ashamed that the my keep it is to probably the most petty hip hop nonsense that could be literally occurring at all. But my keep it this week goes to a woman by the name of Danny Lee. And you probably don't know who this is. 
And you probably will have to look her up after this. I don't. <laughs> I did have to look her up when you told me about it. She's a dancer, a singer who was allegedly discovered by Prince. You know, no proof, but here we are. <laughs> oh, so she's ethnically ambiguous. Exactly. She's she. she <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> um, so therefore, coveted by Prince. There is a snippet that she posted on her Instagram where she is looking like a Dominican knockoff Marilyn Monroe, and she's singing a quote unquote light skin anthem the lyrics go exactly the lyrics go yellow bone that's what he want and honestly i'm not even going to mention that this song sounds like a weasel getting his tail pulled like that's the whole vibe that's the whole (laughs) essence that she's giving but i just want to start with this any real black person who is a light-skinned person meaning they are a black person who just happens to have a ferritone would not have fucking made this song because they understand that you're not going to just glorify light skin culture. We don't need that, okay? Imagine if Zendaya came out and sang along with this. You'd be like, girl, you are done. You are done, Zendaya. Right. Zendaya is a black woman, okay? This mm-hmm. is, I think this is, and like, you know, Dominicans and Afro-Latino people and whether they are black is a different conversation. I think that kind of refers to a case-by-case basis because it really depends on what reputation you get to enjoy based on the skin color that you you know present to the world. Mm-hmm. So I won't even go there. But my problem with this is to celebrate a class of people who have otherwise not been celebrated, like darker skinned people who have faced the most oppression historically throughout any part of the world, is different than glorifying light-skinned people who don't need a fucking anthem. Mm-hmm. And it's also annoying when people bring up conversations like, well, Donald Glover released Redbone, and it's, okay, Don... <sighs> I get so frustrated. I get so frustrated because these men will have light skin or white skin partners and then create content with dark skin partners just to kind of give off the affect that they are down or they are woke. Guava Island, I'm looking at you. Any Childish Gambino music video, I'm looking at you. So this is like speaking to a much larger issue that black women have to face in the industry and the world of entertainment. And black men don't get to be the gatekeepers of black culture and black beauty. Just because Danny Lee is dating the baby, that doesn't make you black. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I hate to break it to you. Um, and it's specifically shady because the baby's last partner and the, the mother of his child is a dark-skinned woman. Mm-hmm. So to release a song where you're saying, yellow bone, that's what he want, you're not glorifying light-skinned women. You are attacking dark-skinned women. Right. And for the listeners who don't know, you know, yellow bone describes like <laughs> someone who's very, very like lighter yes. than Drake. Exactly. <laughs> that a beige color. king. And, and red bone would would be what you would describe, you know, someone who was like not exactly dark skinned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Actually, I forget that these are just uh, default black terms that don't have common knowledge. You know, we we've got a couple white listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm speaking directly to Lewis's mom, but pay attention. <laughs> I feel like she's like writing this down. <laughs> the thing that made me the angriest was the entire conversation online about how it was no different than the Beyonce song from Black is King, Brown Skin Girl. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how that's a conversation. That was the first thing that people went to. Mm-hmm. It, it may, ugh, that's why I'm giving up. We're gonna, we'll be dragging the discography of India Ari into this. It's a mess. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Van Morrison songs. What do you yeah. mean, brown eyed? What do you mean, brown eyed? What about blue eyed girls? I'm just, I'm over it. I'm so over it. And I'm not judging people for who they love. I'm just saying a pattern is a pattern is a pattern. And, you know, until dark skinned black women run the world as they should, um, I'm going to always gripe about this. 
really, at the end of the day, the only light-skinned anthems we need are from Drake anyway. <laughs> what is that lyric in that one song? Um, I'm light-skinned, but light I'm still a dark nigga. but I'm still a dark nigga. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. And Ariana would have been a good default choice as well. Yeah. One time I took a photo of Nicki Minaj and Ariana Grande and did color swatches, and guess who was darker? <laughs> <laughs> Guess. One guess. The true meaning of side uh, to side, yes. And she's a cool baby, as Lewis likes to put it. <laughs> yeah, my, cool baby. My Italian woman of color. Mm, it's true. It's I true. Love her. It's, you like her hair. Gee, thanks. She bought it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> she is a black woman. Ira, what's your keep it? My keep it this week goes to my personal nemesis, <laughs> Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh, who is, fair, who fair, is fair. running for governor of Arkansas, which, of course, I feel like there have been rumors about this um, governor bid for a while, ever since she left the position as White House press secretary. But to see her campaign video really just highlights how stupid this woman is and how manipulative and evil this woman is and just how she has glorified being pitiful at your job and turned it into a brand right like it starts out with her talking about how the radical left have taken over the government with socialism and how the governor is the last chance of defense for real americans so they need to help her become governor of arkansas I guess, you know, she talks about how she took on the media and I won. <laughs> Meaning what did you win? What? You what quit. Did you, win? you quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one won during those press briefings. You, she literally lied with a straight face. That is it. All fucking three of them that she did. Maybe one of the most disturbing parts of her campaign video is it opens up with a story about how she and Trump visited the troops. Um, for the holidays once, and a young soldier came up to them and said, Mr. Trump, I re-enlisted in the army because of you. And then he said to Sarah Huckabee, give them hell, you know, your job is so amazing, and you're great at it. And she's like, well, oh, gee shucks, you know, like, I'm just at a podium every day, you're the real person, you know, sacrificing themselves for America. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Is this a sweet story that a <laughs> young man was radicalized to join yeah. the military by a man who we all know did everything possible to avoid being in the military himself? Right. Pathetic. I, I mean, Sarah Huckabee <sighs> Sanders... We watched Sean Spicer and then the Scaramucci guy, and then she appeared, and it was like, <laughs> it's like, the idea that she was the successful version just because she looked the least ashamed of lying. I mean, that's all she did. That was her quote-unquote triumph. It's the idea that she would have fans right now based on what? What did she ever say? What did she ever do? And of course, she's related to that other fucking Huckabee who literally is trying to be a talk show host now because these people are all secretly clowns. <laughs> yeah, and it's, that just reminds me, like, it was so refreshing to watch Jen Psaki come and actually speak and be a literate human being with opinions and understandings about the world. I'm just, it's, it's so refreshing. Fuck Sarah. <laughs> I am actually enjoying um, Jen's... Um, 
John Lovett-esque stand-up routine, if I can mm-hmm. call it that, when she comes up and she's like, now guys, there are going to be times where you don't like me, but that's the <laughs> process. I'm the White House press secretary, but I'm here to respect the media and we're going to be honest and we're going to talk about Joe Biden's plans for America. Man, what a week. I love her. I love her. Plus the distinct... See, she has a fan. Yeah. The distinct Carrie Preston energy she's bringing, too. Come on, mm-hmm. good wife guest arc energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not a single red hair out of place. Right. But getting back to this damn video, it is seven minutes long, and then it is intercut with scenes of her and her family walking through the field, the cornfields. Uh, she's walking through the cornfields with her dad too like I guess looking for crop circles I I wish some aliens were there to snatch them up and take them back to wherever uh, because I cannot deal with this woman being in public office again can we impeach her please Uh, yeah sure I'm on board. I feel like they'd actually convict. (laughs) (laughs) If they won't convict Trump, they'd actually convict her. The fucking worst. Because no one actually gives a fuck about her, right? Like, she was there to um, further the lies of the Trump administration. But at the end of the day, she's, you know, expendable. And, you know, I, I really hope that this is one of those first instances where it shows that, like, the association with Trump is toxic because mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. sure he's going to come out to, you know, support her in this governor bid. And I just want it to fucking fail spectacularly. I am hoping so myself. <sighs> she really is downright Trumpy in that it's, she's both a joke who is scary. It's just pathetic. Yeah. She's Zebo the clown. <laughs> there you go. Back to Are You Afraid of the Dark? I love it. <laughs> I'm going to greedily sneak one line of an extra keep it in here, and I won't even elaborate on it, but keep it to whatever the fuck Ashanti and Keisha Cole were doing on Versus last week. I'm just mm. so embarrassed and underwhelmed, and that's it. I follow Jack Hayes' tweets. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you saw Jack Hayes tweeting about it? Yeah, they were spicy. <laughs> the only entertaining thing about the whole Versus. I just want to point out that Miss Keisha Cole arrived later than me to any event, <laughs> and then was like angry the entire time and then was also like oh it's over when it ended so soon it's like girl what are we doing here you're at home yeah (laughs) yeah you have (laughs) and you're and you're hitting play on songs absolutely that's tough anyway that was keep it thanks to kat dennings for joining us who followed j-lo's instructions and did get loud with us that's true she did she did she did Uh, we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.